Genesis 40. Remember, we left Joseph in the prison cell, but the Lord had raised him up to the highest place he can get to in the prison cell. He was in charge of everything. The warden had to worry about anything because Joseph took care of it because it says in the text the Lord was with him. And now we pick it up in chapter 40. So let's stand, get the blood flowing for the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. Bless you. Hear God's word to you this morning. And I pray that you will be just as blessed as I've been meditating on it, stewing on it, and studying it this past week. Hear God's word to you. Sometime later, I got a comment right there, sometime later. This guy's been in prison for a while. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, 
came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Literally in the Hebrew is my sins. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dreams I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw heaven, seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. Now, this verse is important. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. We're going to stop there for this morning. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and art word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. I hope you could see why I had to read the whole thing in order to get to the point of the text. 
Now, one thing I want to mention as we get into the text is a very important thing. There is an overarching theme. There is a melodic line that runs throughout the book of Genesis. And, of course, we have to keep that in mind. And that is what? It's God's history of redemption. In other words, his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that he will send a savior out of their line. And that continues throughout this book. And what we do see very clearly is that Joseph is a type of Christ. And we'll be dealing with that more in detail again next time. But there is a place, not only for the history of redemption as we look at historical narrative, there's also a place for example, as long as you use that wisely and don't overuse it. What I mean by that is this. Why did Jesus come? He came to redeem us from our sins. That's the real reason, right? So it's not what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do. Can I get an amen? However, throughout the New Testament, as a secondary teaching, we find there is teaching that says what? Jesus is an example. We are to walk, 1 John says, as what? as Jesus walked. So as long as we understand that and that the both are true and one, has, one is more primary, it's okay to go to this text and look at it from Joseph's perspective, even though, and I want to make this super clear, even though Joseph at this time in history, like Job in many ways and like Daniel later on, is one in a million. In other words, when we look at this text and we try to say, where are we in this text? It's probably not Joseph. <laughs> You are not the deliverer of the church. It's probably his brothers and his dad and his mom and the rest of the Israelites who needed to be delivered. However, there are lessons we can learn from Joseph that apply even to us. And I just wanted to point that out. So we're going to come from that angle a little bit this morning. That's all. Next week, we will deal with. So, And if you're also wondering, hey, you missed all these details, that will come up next week. And if I still miss them, then you could ask me about them. So what I want to talk about this morning is simply this. Uh, my buddy Bruce Finn, many of you know, he was my church planning coach for many years. and um, He's pretty much retired from that, but he is the missions director, missions pastor of a church in Pennsylvania, Doylestown. He came and had lunch with us Monday. And um, when Allison was giving him her story of how she got connected to New City Fellowship and Hope for Atlantic City, and it was interesting, he said, Man, are you resilient. What resilience. And then he looked toward us, and he said, you too. And it just struck me. I was like, he said, I admire your resilience. Now, if there's one thing that always jumps out at me whenever I read the account of Joseph and the trials that he went through in Genesis 37 to 41, humanly speaking, it's his incredible resilience in the face of constant, and I mean constant, disappointment. You ever notice that? You, so far we read in, in, in the, the book of Genesis that jo, poor Joseph just keeps having a lot of setbacks. But it is astonishing that he doesn't throw the towel in. For so many of us, I'd be like, you know, that towel would have been thrown a long time ago. You know, my wife always teases me, Don and Tom, and my wife always mess with me because sometimes I'll just be like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And they know, uh-oh, Santos losing. He, he really, you know, we, we're in trouble here. Um, but the interesting thing is here with Joseph is he doesn't say that. But when you look at his life, I don't know about you, but I've learned as I've walked with Jesus, 
as long as there's a little bit of progress in my life, it doesn't have to be a lot, just a tiny, tiny bit, I still feel good. Amen? And so I love that old saying, and it's one of my mottos, three, what is it, uh, three steps forward, two steps back. So what does that mean? I still gained a step. Hallelujah. But when you look at Joseph's life, if you're looking from the outside, if you're just looking at his circumstances, it kind of looks like this. It kind of looks like two steps forward, three steps back. Every time it seems like he's getting ahead, he's behind. He's in a nice house, in someone's house, and he's serving in a nice house with a little bit more freedom. And then what happens? He ends up where? In a prison house. That's not exactly an upgrade. I don't know if you missed that. It's not an upgrade in terms of circumstances. And as I look at this, we have to be honest and say, doesn't, isn't that life for us sometimes? Doesn't it kind of feel like, man, when am I going to catch a break? Just like when, something, when it looks like my life is turning for the better, am I making a turn for the better, everything's good's going to happen, boom, I get another punch in the gut. Now, I don't think I'm the only person here that's felt that before. And some of us could be feeling it right now. If you haven't, and if you haven't yet, unfortunately, you're probably going to, if you live long enough, you'll have this experience as well. But think about this. I want to point this out. He gets two incredible, vivid, wondrous dreams from God when he's only 17 years old, by the way. He's a teenager. And where do they get him? Think, he's so excited. He tells his brothers. I am not of the opinion of the many commentators who think that he was a spoiled brat and he was insensitive, and he was rubbing it in his brother's face. We don't see that at all in the text. I personally believe, and I think the New Testament will show us, and we'll talk about that later in, in uh, Stephen's speech, uh, and he mentions Joseph. I just think he was so excited. Wouldn't you be excited if you're 17 years old and God gives you a vision dream, a, a, a vivid dream that you know is from him, and it's just to you? I don't know, but, and, and who were his friends? You know, it's, it's true of us Italian-Americans. Our first best friends were our cousins. And it might be true of other ethnic groups. I know for me, it was my cousins that we played with at first. And here, it's the same thing. Your brothers. Because Joseph had a big family, right? From a big family. So who else is he going to tell the dream to? So he he's so excited. He tells the dreams. He's so happy about the whole thing. And where does it land him? Where do these beautiful dreams from God that he had bring him? To the bottom of a dry well and sold down the river, as it were, or up the river, to a foreign place where he's a slave. Thanks for the dreams. Wonderful. That would be some of our attitude. But the incredible thing is we don't see that with Joseph, do we? I don't see a hint of bitterness. I do see a hint of, hey, if you can get me out of here, please get me out of here. But I don't see this shaking a fist at God. I don't see this, well then faith doesn't work, I don't care about God. You don't get that here. You have to see, so finally, things take a good turn for the better. He's in Potiphar's house, he raises to the top because God's with him, God blesses everything he does, and then what happens? It says he's a good looking guy, by the way, I don't know if you noticed that last week, I think Pete pointed it out, so he was good looking. So good looking, he was getting the attention of Potiphar, which is a great thing, but unfortunately he got the attention of who? Potiphar's wife. And she wasn't a godly woman. We know about last week, I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But so she tempts him, and 
incredible, as incredible as it is, he passes the test. You know, think about, you know, if you're in the Oval Office and somebody in power wants to do, you know, it's hard to say no. You know what I'm saying? And yet, by the grace of God, he's able to run away for his, run for his life. And what does he get? Listen, this is important. I want you to see this. What does he get for obeying God? Sorry, Joel Olstein. Sorry. He gets put in prison. Your best life now. I think you would have said that to him. He would not have been happy. My best life now. But now look. Here's another thing that's incredible about the text. Finally, you get two officials who come, who, who were who serve Pharaoh. That means they're in the presence of Pharaoh every day. They get to talk to Pharaoh with respect and honor, of course. And for some reason, they displeased Pharaoh. We don't know exactly why. They both land, lo and behold, where? In the same prison Joseph is in. What, what a coincidence. Joseph is a wise man. And he says, he sees they're dejected. And he says, hey, maybe there's a way out of it. Maybe, maybe I need to see if God's going to do something here. And he hears that they had dreams. And let's put it this way. I, he's salivating when he hears they had dreams. Because what is his response? Hey, don't dreams belong to God? Tell me. I'll help you out. And we know from reading, as we did the reading before, he was thinking, hopefully it'll help me get the heck out of here. There's no doubt about it. And I want to make a side note here. Look at the benefit of him not being bitter and not giving up. doesn't mean he didn't have a bad day now and then, but overall, he continued to trust God. Look at the benefit. He had the boldness and the confidence that if they told him the dream, that God would give him the interpretation. Why? Because he continued to walk with God even when it was almost impossible. He did not let life make him bitter. And, you know, suffering can do, there, there's only two things suffering will really do in your life. It'll make you better. We read the text earlier about in Romans, right, chapter 5. Suffering develops what? Perseverance and character. Or it'll make you bitter. And I've met many a bitter person. And the difference is faith or unbelief. Isn't it? It's an attitude. So he sees this window of opportunity. He, he, he interprets the dreams. He can't wait because, you know, the, the, the cupbearer is going to remember him. And what happens? It's the saddest verse in the text we read. But the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. You talk about letting all the air out of your tires. You talk about a kick in the gut. And I want you to see something because you have to understand this. It was two years that the cupbearer forgot him. Can you imagine living two years and for those two years not knowing if you're ever going to get out or how God is going to accomplish his promise? And more importantly, when? So the reward he gets for staying true to God and walking with God circumstantially is he's forgotten about. I don't know about you, but it's one of the few things in the world I would hate to be completely forgotten. And he's completely forgotten. 
And here's the thing. No doubt Joseph never thought, he never imagined that his dreams would take him down such a long, winding road of suffering, affliction, and disappointment. If you would ask young Joseph at 17 having those wonderful dreams, how do you think God is going to fulfill those dreams? Your whole family bowing down to you. You think he would have come up with this answer? How many of us in our high school yearbooks, when I grow up, I want to be, and then you put the thing, whatever is there. How many of us look back and go, wow, that turned out totally different. So, it's great dreams he had, but it was 13 years ago, because we find out from the text he was 30 when he got released. Tells us later. Which means it was 13 years ago, but at this point, his circumstances certainly seem to contradict the dreams that God had given him. And yet, here's the issue. Where I've been going with all this, this long introduction, don't get too nervous. But the question is, what you'd have to ask yourself. I know I did, and I do. What is the secret to Joseph's resilience? Right? So Bruce said, oh, you have resilience. Well, what's the secret? What's the secret to persevering in the faith? And you know, there's one thing that we'll talk about for a few moments because it jumps out in chapter 39 and 40 and 41 and going forward. There's something that I think Moses wants to tell us. I don't know why. Maybe because he, re he repeats it like 10 times. Here's the secret. Wait for it. God was with him. You're all like, huh? Yeah. That's it. It doesn't say Joseph pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. It doesn't say he was such an intelligent guy. It doesn't say, man, he's just, he's got that stick to it. It says God was with him and was kind to him. And everything he did, God made it prosper. Now, albeit it was in a prison, so let's not get too excited. God was with him. That's the first secret. And the second secret, there's only one other secret. And it's a not so secret secret. But here's the cool thing. I always love when I've been studying the word of God since 1986. Um, and so brand new insights don't come as quickly as they did when I was brand new in Jesus. When I was new in Jesus, everything I read was new. Oh, another one. Oh, another one. Oh, and as you get older, there are a little less of those aha. But this is the first time in my entire life that I saw this, and it's huge. It'll make a big difference in your life and in my life if we take it to heart. And that's the second secret to his perseverance. Wait for it. Joseph believed God. It's the simple word, faith. No, no matter, exactly. No matter how ugly it got, no matter how much he was disappointed, no matter how much other people would have, would have just looked at the circumstances and said, I can't do this, his eyes were constantly on God's revelation to him, which was a dream. But for us, we know God spoke in the past through dreams and prophets and many diverse ways, but how does he speak to us now? Through his son, through the word of God. The secret to his success so to speak, was God's grace and his keeping power 
and faith. And we're just going to look at those two things for a couple minutes this morning. Let's take a look. What we're going to see is that God's chosen servant is kept strong amidst affliction by God's grace and childlike faith. That's it. By God's grace and childlike faith. Take a look at the first one. God's chosen servant is kept strong amidst affliction by God's grace. Now, last week we left off, as I mentioned, that Joseph's in the prison where all the king's prisoners were held. We saw that Joseph was really going through it. His faith was tested and tried. But he still had one more stinging disappointment recorded in chapter 40 to go through, which I, which I mentioned, where he was forgotten by the cupbearer for two years. Well, and, and another thing I, I want you to see, because you might think, Joseph was living large in that prison house. You might get the idea that he was kind of, you know, chilling. Well, Psalm 105 tells us a different story. Didn't think, you didn't know this was in the Bible, did you? Psalm 105, 18 and 19, it's speaking about Joseph. And it says this about him. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Till what he foretold came to pass. Till the word of the Lord proved him true. I think that's powerful. A few uh, things I want to point out. And one of them is this. Sometimes we think of God's choice servants. We think of our heroes in the faith. Um, as if they're just blocks of wood, as if they, they're impenetrable. They just are constantly strong all the time and never have any uh, moments of just crying out. And what's interesting here is you see, as faithful as Joseph is, he is still human. Because what does he say to the cupbearer in verse 14? He says this, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And then verse 15 is very interesting. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So here's what I want you to see. While we're going through it, we do want to grow in God's grace. We want to cooperate with God. We want to continue to learn perseverance and stick to itness under trial, but there's nothing sinful from wanting to become free. The New Testament, Paul says, if you're a slave, don't let it trouble you because you're God's free man in 1 Corinthians 7. But you know what else he says? Although if you can gain your freedom, what? Do so. <laughs> Get the heck out of there if you could do it. And that's what we see here. And we see Joseph has his eye on when God is going to release him out of the prison. And that's why he gets that uh, great disappointment when he thought God's answer was going to come by the chief cupbearer putting in a good word to Pharaoh so he would get him out. And it was a tough pill for him to swallow, no doubt, because he's a human being. And it was a challenge to wrestle with. So here's what we see where, where the first secret really emerges. And I want to point it out for a minute, just for a couple minutes, and then we're going to go to the, the second point where we'll spend the rest of our time. 
But if you look at um, chapter 39, looking at verse 20, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So notice the ultimate secret, which is really not a secret, the secret to Joseph's resilience, was that the Lord blessed him and the work of his hands even when he was in the prison house. Now in one sense, he may have been in a gloomy prison, but he was the best manager of any prison in his day. Why? Because God was with him and gave him success, even in a gloomy prison house. Now John Goldingay puts it this way. Joseph is the guy who keeps bouncing back, not because he has an inherent resilience, but because God is with him and shows commitment to him. Now, I didn't want to pass over this truth too quickly or too lightly because if the text mentions it again and again and again, and I won't continue to read that many times it does to spare us some time, then it's an important truth for us to take to heart or God wouldn't repeat it over and over again. So commentators point out something that is very true. I want you to follow me here. Joseph was a very skilled manager. We know this because once he takes over Egypt, the guy is awesome at what he does over a whole country, amen? But the stress in the text is not his skills. It's not his talents. It's not his good looks. What's the stress on the text? The stress in the text is on the Lord's grace, the Lord's kindness, and the Lord's faithfulness. He is faithful. Listen to how Stephen puts it in Acts 7, 9 to 10. I told you I was going to mention this. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, hmm, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Now listen to what Stephen says. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over, over Egypt and all his palace. Those two wonderful words that I think someone's written a book on. But God. That's what we have here. We have God breaking in the gloom and the doom and the, and the depression of history with his grace. Now, it's not to say skills aren't important. God certainly developed skills in Joseph. We're going to talk about that in a second. But here's the lesson we need to learn from this. Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house... It's builders labor in vain. I don't care how gifted you are, how talented you are, how skilled you are, how hot you may think you are, unless God blesses your efforts, guess what? It's going to go over like a lead balloon. So ultimately, the secret of his resilience is found in this fact. God was with him. God did not abandon him in his affliction. God did not leave him nor forsake him. Some of our problem is when we're in our affliction, we're not seeking God. When we say, where are you, God, what we mean is how come you ain't doing what I want you to do? 
Well, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is God is saying, open your eyes. I'm in the shackle sitting next to you, as it were. I'm here. Where are you? Was Adam seeking after God when he ate from the tree? Did he say, God, where are you? No. God said, Adam, where are you? So if this morning you're wondering where God is because you're in the fire, we got the promise. When you go through the fire, I will be with you. When you go through the flood, just look around. You'll find me there. That's the secret of any of our success. Why am I still here? Why is New City Fellowship is struggling? Why are we still here? It's because God, in his mercy and sovereign grace, sometimes I ask myself why, he's with us. He's in it. Second and last thing I want to mention, and because this is concurrent with the first point, and let me just say this. You know Philippians too. For all you people who are going to argue about Arminian Calvinism, only Calvinism puts the two together, and it's this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who's at work within you to will and to do his good purpose. They don't contradict each other. Why do we work? Because God worked. If God don't work in your heart, you don't believe. It's both, not either or. So that's the second thing we see. The second secret and the last one. God's chosen servant is kept strong through childlike faith. We've got to fast forward to chapter 41. I, I highlighted the verse I wanted you to, to focus on. When Joseph later on gets out and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him, he says something that I never saw the full significance of till just this past week. He tell, tells Pharaoh this, it tells Pharaoh this in 41:32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Why do I mention that? Because here's something that, one of the secrets that Joseph knew in his day. If a dream is repeated in two forms twice, then what does that mean? He just said it. It means that God will certainly do it. In other words, it's a done deal. It's sealed. It's going to happen. So that's, now when you hear that, now we know what kept Joseph from falling into complete despair. It was, he had to be patient. It was the revelation of God. In other words, no matter what he saw with his eyes, his physical eyes, he knew with his spiritual eyes, God's going to make my dream come true, and they are going to bow down to me. I don't know how that's going to work. It sure looks like I'm going backwards instead of forward, but you know who I trust? I trust in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, if God, and here's the thing. You know, I say this a lot, but I, I, I don't know why R.C. Sproul quotes are coming to me today. It's very strange. But I'll never forget R.C. saying how people say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And he said, that's wrong. And I remember when he said it, I'm like, really? This is the way we should say it. 
God said it. That settles it. I believe it. It's a big difference. Whether you believe it or not, it settles it. Amen? Amen. And so everybody else in the world might be, yeah, we're all going to bow down to him. Nut job. He's off in some foreign country right now. Who knows what he's doing? The brother, he's a slave. And yet for Joseph, it was as good as done. Did that alleviate all his suffering? Of course not. But ultimately, his faith was on the solid rock of God's clear revelation. So here's the thing. When God says they're all going to bow down to you, you can trust him from the bottom of your soul that that is exactly what's going to happen even though you're currently stuck at the bottom of a well. Can I get a witness? Indeed, God alone gives Joseph the wisdom and the skill. So when the appointed time came, he was ready to go. Listen, because he kept faith, because by faith he walked with God and God's revelation, when the time came when he could be ruler, help the ruler of the whole known world, guess what Joseph was? Ready. He wasn't like, oops, I stopped walking with God like two, three years ago when he didn't listen to me. Very important. Listen, and this is where the last few minutes, stay with me, because this is where it gets real wet. It did for me. Where in the world, we know it's from God, but God usually doesn't give us stuff through osmosis. If we get wisdom, it's because he uses ordinary means in a powerful way. Where, where did Joseph get all that skill from? Where do you get the managerial skills and wisdom to know how to rule Egypt? Now, remember, when he was in Israel, he was kind of living a cushy life of a 17-year-old, and his only job back then was to what? Rat on his brothers. That's basically what he did. So where did he learn all this st good stuff? Guess where? In, what's that? In the prison cell. In the school of affliction. We don't like that. <laughs> Luther said, the best book in my shelf is the book of affliction. He ain't lying. Listen, the Bible tells us that even the author of Joseph's salvation was made perfect through suffering. Did you know that? According to Hebrews 10, our Lord Jesus himself was made perfect through suffering. Wow. Wow. At the end of my sermon, I'm blowing your mind. But let me tell you this. It obviously doesn't mean he was made morally perfect because the book of Hebrews tells us he was already that. He was sinless. What it means, and this is very important, that as the second Adam in his human nature and office as Messiah, the Father used suffering in his life to lead him to perfect, mature, deep, full obedience. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't have suffering in your life, then your obedience to the Lord is superficial. And that's not, that's not a negative thing. I'm not saying that as, a, a, as an accusatory thing. When we're younger or young kids, obviously we, our, our, our roots aren't as deep. But if you want to become a mature, strong, trusting follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no shortcutting the only path to that. If our Lord who was perfect, the Messiah had to be trained through suffering. Certainly we do. 
if Joseph, who was going to deliver his people, whom God was going to deliver his people through, wanted to be used of the Lord, then he would have to go through suffering. The greatest glory as our human representative that Jesus had was his passion, his suffering, and his death on the cross for our sins. Listen, there's a poem called Maker of the Universe, and it puts it so beautifully. The throne on which he now appears was his for everlasting years, but a new glory crowns his brow, and every knee to him shall bow. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus, after his death and resurrection, had a new glory to his crown. It was bright. It shined brighter because the only way he could get it was through suffering. And again, Joseph, for us, was a type of Christ in the Old Testament, pointing ahead to the true deliverer of God's people, to the ultimate Messiah, to the one who would suffer and die for the sins of his people. And the reason why the author of Hebrews points that out about Jesus is because he's saying to us, if God put his only son through that in order to make him perfect in obedience, then he will put you through that to some degree as well. And we should praise him for it. We should rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that God doesn't want us to be a mushroom. You know how quick a mushroom grows? Was it a day or two? He wants us to be an oak, which takes many years to get its roots in deep and be solid. My friend's song that he wrote, I always love to bring this to your attention, that one beautiful line, you may nail me to the tree, it just puts me in good company. Now I'm going to close with this because there is an important word here in the text about timing. This is what we're going to end with. We often feel, where is God? When I needed you most, you weren't here. And here we see God, and especially, think about Joseph. So Joseph expected to get delivered that three days after he told him the dream. What happened? Two years. But you know what? God was right on time. He always keeps his word in grand fashion and at the perfect, ultimately perfect time. Not just for us personally, but for the good of the whole world and particularly his people. Now notice, even though it says the, the, the cupbearer forgot, notice this, the cupbearer forgot for good providential reasons. Because it wasn't until two years later that Joseph really had his opening, not to just get out of prison, but to rule second only to Pharaoh, the whole land of Egypt, which of course would be a good time that he could rescue his family during the famine that was coming. Edith Lillian Young says this. She wrote, a, a, it's kind of a corny, uh, some of these corny old uh, Christian songs and hymns, I know they don't make the best music, but I'll tell you what, it ministers to my dry and weary soul. I want you to hear this because I think somebody here needs to hear it this morning. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever heard Pastor Santos say, <laughs> I think somebody here needs to hear it. No, but I, I believe it. I believe Because I know I need to hear it. Here it is. Listen. Disappointment 
his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise. For the end, from the beginning, open to his wisdom lies. Disappointment, his appointment, Lord, I take it then as such. Let the clay in hands of potter, yielding wholly to thy touch. And all my life's plan in thy molding, not one single choice be mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my will, but thine. Aren't those beautiful words? Of course, this wasn't about Joseph's personal freedom, but about God's plan to save the known world of Joseph's day and specifically further his covenant, uh, his promises of his covenant of grace to his people. That's where we're going to pick up the text next time. In the meantime, are you going through it right now? Submit to your heavenly Father through Jesus and let affliction do its perfect work in you that he desires for you to make you better not bitter. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's more sure than the dreams that you gave Joseph. Because this is your inerrant and scripturated word for all time. And you speak today to your people through Jesus, through what you've already spoken. So Holy Spirit, use this word to give us that resilience that we don't have in and of ourselves. Like Joseph said, I can't do it, but God will give you the answer. Well, we can't stand, but God will make us stand. Lord, that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for your people who hear this message. Lord, not just for our sake, but for the many more of your elect who still need to hear the good news and be saved and give you glory. It's in Jesus' name.